But let's open up where we left off, definitely the mandates here for teaching and fasting. So go to Isaiah 58, and we'll follow that up immediately, possibly, with Matthew 4, and Luke, possibly, 4. Hallelujah. All right, in Isaiah 58, knowing the difference now between Old Covenant and the covenant that caused our sonship, our inheritance. I know that the Old Testament saints were spiritually dead or had unregenerated spirits, and that, that was for a space of about 4,000 years. So I knew how God had to deal with them. And so to me, that fasting in our dispensation and our sonship and inheritance, that fasting had to be a different kind of fasting than they did as spiritually dead, waiting for this dispensation when Jesus would come and the promise to Abraham would be fulfilled and, and we would be part of his seed and he would inherit the nations. You and I would be born again as a fulfillment of that promise. Well, he had to deal with the spiritually dead men a lot different than he deals with us as sons. So every time we took a text for to teach on fasting, always Isaiah 58 would be included. But then when he wouldn't hardly let me in the Old Testament until I thoroughly understood the new all the way, to sonship and inheritance, and now, now the Old Testament is opening up, and as you know, that he's been helping me even with the genealogy. I'll just look at it for a while, and it just pours back out of me, and Sham, and Erfaxin, Selah, and Eber, and Peleg, and, <laughs> and these are Sham's sons, you know, on down the line, and their ages, and so when he did open up the old, he really opened it up. It's just, my spirit has just been consuming it. But I couldn't even get into it until I understood the covenant of our sonship. I couldn't even get into it because I would use them as wrong examples. And there's a vast difference between them and us, even in worship as we yielded ourselves to just a little bit before the offering explained it just a little bit again. Well, I found out that this is the fast that he chose for Jesus. This is the one that he fulfilled in Matthew, the fourth chapter, and again in Luke, the fourth chapter. So when I found out it was the fast that he had called Jesus to, that I know also it's the fast he called me to. And like so many prophecies, they're prophesying about our era, our dispensation. So they're for us. But here, here beginning then, in the fifth verse when he says, Is it such a fast that I've chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will thou call this fast an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast I've chosen, 
And of course, this is the one he chose for him. Is not this the fast I've chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? Thou bring the poor that are cast out of thy house, and when you see the naked, to cover him? That you hide not yourself from your own flesh. This is the fast he's chosen. Well, if you just run over to Isaiah 61 and 1 just for a moment, you'll see some similarity here. Now, this is, this is the prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus when he walked into the temple. They gave him the book of Isaiah, and he read from this text. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And everybody knew that was the Jubilee. Everybody knew he was talking about the 50th year when the captives would be set free and when debts would be canceled. See, he is the Jubilee. We hear from Isaiah 58, 61 and 1, he's talking the same kind of language that he talked in the fast that he chose for Jesus. To do what? to loose the bands of wickedness, to clothe the naked, and those that are cast out of his house, to break every yoke. Look what he's talking about here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek, sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open a prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This was his text, the first thing he did when he broke the 40-day fast in the wilderness as he came out of the wilderness, went into the temple, and he took his text. So here, here, Satan met him in the wilderness and tried to withstand him because he knew he was standing at the door of the Jubilee. He had to stop him. Now, if you want to really know what happened, if you really want to know what happened in the Garden of Eden, in, in the first man Adam's temptation, you'd say, how did Satan come to him? Now, the fall of the human race wasn't really, it wasn't really Eve's fault, per se. Adam was the one that was accountable. See, Adam was the one that was accountable. It must have been some kind of temptation your finest theological minds are trying to put together exactly what happened there. And you're not going to get it with your mind. But I imagine the temptation of the last Adam must have been close to what the temptation was of the first Adam that caused him to fall. I imagine when we look into these verses how he withstood him on three levels that you're going to understand something that Adam went through. But I can tell you the reason Jesus fasted. He fasted because he was getting his flesh ready for the temptation that would be presented to him. And thank God he prevailed. Hallelujah. So what did he say? This is the fast he chose. Who did he choose it for? He chose it for Jesus, but not only him. If the same fast has been chosen for you and I, 
And again, look at this. I just love these verses. Isaiah 58, again, the sixth verse. Is not this the fast I've chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke, to deal your bread to the hungry. You bring the poor that are cast out of thy house. When you see the naked, that you cover him, that you hide not yourself from your own flesh. Well, one more time, my friend, the day, the day you decide to fast, any kind of fasting, we're just, we're in the revelation of it, the spiritual content. We'll, we'll cover some of the other things. The day you decide to fast is the day you decide to stop hiding yourself from your own flesh. Fasting is death on indifference and complacency. Whatever it is that's in you that doesn't care about the naked who need to be clothed, about those that are cast out of God's house, need to be born again to get inside, those who Satan has imprisoned with spiritual death and holding a prisoner in possession and captivity. What is it in you that can set in church, live in pleasure, and not care the rest of the world's going to hell. And I'm just hinting right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, the day you decide to fast, whether it be series fasting, or those long prophets fasts, where your old man walks into your closet with you and locks the door behind him and you and him are locked up together and he may be your least favorite person before it's over. Nevertheless, you're going to face him because that fasting executes a positional truth of death, a position Jesus has provided when you were born again. Christ be in you, the Spirit is life because of the new nature and the righteousness is received, but the body's been declared dead because of sin. Now, this is why it does Mahatma Gandhi and Buddha and all those. Any good to fast does no good. There's no positional truth for them to execute. Well, the day, just like the day you decide to start praying in tongues, any amount at all, is the day you walk into the classroom of the Holy Spirit that fine-dressed gentleman at the chalkboard is going to begin to teach you what he knows. It's inevitable. That's why he bypassed you, left you your whole life out of it, and went right for your spirit and says, let me originate the prayer. Of the day you decide to fast three days, too often, too on, too on, one on, too off, anything. Anything is the day you've decided to quit hiding from your own flesh. This whatever it is that's in you that just doesn't care. You're going to face it. What I like about the combination of the power twins, fasting and praying, which he said this kind of devil doesn't come out but by fasting and praying. The power twins. What I like about both of them is both of them together, including fasting, is going to build you up 
I mean, God, he's so subtle. I, sometimes he's kind of sneaky. One of the sneakiest things he's done is give you a language to pray in, and you don't know what you're praying. You talk about sneaky. We think we're praying about one thing and fasting, and, and he's fasting us and praying us about something else. We think we know what's good for us, and we don't. You know, if when I first started fasting and praying in tongues, if you'd have said, get a list, what do you think that you're changing? My list would have been a whole lot different than his. <laughs> a whole lot different. He wanted me to be purged to things like love and faithfulness and peace. And I thought I needed a whole lot of, of material things to offer proof that I have faith. His list was different than my list. <laughs> I found that out later. And God's a rascal. <laughs> you risk weak and you need prayer and you fast and you pray and pretty soon he builds you up above the problem in your spirit. He builds you up above it. He's hammering your flesh down below it. When you're praying in tongues, he's building you up above it. He's sneaky. And all of a sudden, because your spirit has been built up above the problem and your flesh has been driven down below it, all of a sudden he can open your eyes. And so you're looking through his eyes now and you go, Oh my God, is that me? That's you, you cruel outfit. Oh God, I can't believe I walked in that kind of unforgiveness. I can't believe that I had all that torment. Yes, take a good look at yourself. <laughs> Is I really like that? Yes, go ask everybody. <laughs> Suddenly you're seeing yourself through his eyes. And the thing is, when your spirit has risen to the occasion, you're going to start hating that fellow as much as God does. So I just love how God operates in. God starts walking around in a room going, Yes. Yes, because when you loved those things of the flesh, when you really didn't care, when all those things was in your flesh and you didn't care if you hurt people, and you know, you, didn't, you just didn't care. You walked in strife and unforgiveness. And you didn't care about my love. You didn't care about those things. You, when you didn't care, what, what did I have to work with? Your spirit was weak. What did I have to work with to change you? But when you decided to start praying in tongues and fasting, you have a wonderful combination because your spirit's coming up and your flesh is going down. The combination of the two is very powerful. You keep it up. No, no devil will defile you. No, no devil will defy you. No devil. You said, come out. And he says, I'm not coming out. He said, I, did I ask you? It was not a request. <laughs> I didn't ask you. That same kind of authority will develop for disease. You know, but you're, you're not going to. You're not going to have that kind of faith. And I'm finding out more and more that he, he's moved by compassion. 
And you're not going to walk indifferent and could care less as 800 kids is dying and suffering. You know, if you, that, that kind of thing doesn't move you at all, you, you need to give him something to work with. But you can be quite carnal when you start the fasting and prayer thing. You'll end up hating everything in you that doesn't care. And God says, good. Good, because when you didn't care, what did I have to work with? I don't know. Nothing. Faith of the Spirit. What did I have to work with? But now that you hate it as much as I do, then you're giving me the faith that I need to move that thing out of your life and put it to death. Well, you didn't move God. You moved yourself into a position to receive from him. The day you decide to fast is the day that you decide to quit hiding yourself. See, from your own flesh. And this is the fast that he chose for Jesus then. You know, let's go over there and look at that in Matthew 4 then. Hallelujah. Beginning with verse 1. Then was Jesus led. Then was Jesus led. This, uh, this verse used to bother me. I'd just skip it and go over to the good stuff. Moving mountains, things like that. It says, Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. What for? To be tempted by the devil. You don't have to get to the sixth chapter that he says, in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. Well, he prayed for us not to be led into it, that he himself got led into. So he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for the sole purpose of being tempted by the devil. But when he taught us to pray, he says, lead us not into temptation. Now, why, why was it for him, not for us? Well, I used to skip this because I didn't like the idea of being led anywhere to be attacked by the devil. Because we didn't quite know what to do with this. Most time, faith people don't quote this or they claim it's misquoted. <laughs> what do we do with something like this? You know, being the teacher, I, I don't like any verse I can't understand. Well, sometimes you just have to get enough of your walls up if the ceiling is. You don't have the walls, then forget the ceiling. It's line upon line. That he said he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. My King James got a little less. Anyway, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what he was really beginning here was his great identification and substitutionary work. He was actually led out into the wilderness as your substitute in your place to be tempted by the devil. 
so that then this temptation was done and he shut him down. Then Jesus would turn to you and say, Behold, I give you my standing. And I'm going to tell you right now, what I give you is enough. I'm going to give you my standing. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy that he by no means can hurt you. So he went out and shut Satan down, received that standing, and came back by grace gave that standing to you. And for that standing that he gave you to, to stand up under the worst that the devil has, then the devil had to throw the worst he had at him. That was something to behold what he stood up under, and that temptation. Then he turned around and gave you his standing, and you can know, you can know that it's good. Well, I told the devil to come out, and he didn't come out, Brother Roberson, so what do I do? You do what he told you to do in Matthew 17. You fast. Because <laughs> if you tell the devil he doesn't come out, come out, devil. I don't have to. I, I hate it when they do that. I know they're just standing there watching you to see what you're going to do. I hate it when they do that. Come out, you devil. I hate it when they answer negatively. <laughs> For a couple of weeks, an anointing was on me that I wished would have stayed. People were flying backwards and landing on the floor. The wimpy devil was talking, saying, I don't want to come out. Do I have to come out? And they were asking me. <laughs> in a wimpy little voice, do I have to come out? And I just said, it kind of shocked me a little. I said, yes. And it came out. I said, I really like this kind of casting devils out. <laughs> well, it lasted a couple of weeks, three weeks maybe. Then it lifted. And he told me, the next time it came, it would stay on that level. Well, I would have never dreamed that I would have went back to operating a certain way in the flesh in different parts of my life after that fast. I was so up, you couldn't have convinced me I'd have went back to any of it. But I did. But he said, the next time it comes, it will stay, and it'll probably be in this revival we're entering into. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Hey, hey, say it, say it with me. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. A thousand is born again. Is born again. That's, just That's just the beginning. Every week, Every week. from one location. In the family of the prayer center. Amen. Hallelujah. We're not going to stop until the confession is lined up with the result. I want to see. God gave me a mandate. He stopped me. He took me on full-blown evangelism and stopped me and said, 
I want you to do something for me. I want you to receive an outpouring here. Well, I thank God for the commission because I've come to find these years that's passed, what he asked me was not an easy thing. And would you believe that I believed that when we settled down in a building over in Jinx to begin to pray and get ready for what he asked, that I went on a fast? <laughs> and did you know that I actually was so naive that I thought that God was going to come and do the revival while I was on that fast. Well, I understand more now what he has in mind. Not only did he want the revival, he wanted longevity of it. He wanted us to train preachers in it. He wanted the fire. He wants preachers to go and not fall because they're so strong and equipped. He wants all of that. You might as well get used to it. We're not called just to be if there's such a thing as normal. And I think normal is half unbelief and half faith. That's normal. We're not called to be normal. Just can't live there. And we'll all be so glad when we finish our course. Do you believe that? I'll be so glad. I'm so glad God moved me here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory, my God. I'm so glad. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm so glad he trusted me enough with the little training I had to ask me to do this. I'm so glad he sent you. I've wore so many people out. I'm so glad he sent you, though. A good deal of you now has stuck for several years. I'm so glad. When we first set people into prayer, <laughs> we didn't even know what impasses were. When they started hitting them, I knew I hit them, but I thought it was a personal thing. I thought I had extra ugly hanging on me. <laughs> so I just thought that was me. But everybody that we got to pray something like three times a week for three, two or three hours a time. And they got hungry and started praying more. About three to six months, everybody started. I mean, everybody started getting mad at everybody. Their old, their old impasses and old strongholds in the flesh started surfacing. And, and some of them, they didn't want to get rid of. They wanted to hang on to them. Well, the only way that you can hang on to them is to get God to quit magnifying them so he can... So you can give him the faith he needs to move him out of your life. And that's impossible. You keep spending two or three hours praying in the Holy Ghost today. You're going to keep bouncing against the problem until you get rid of it. Or you have to quit praying and go and declare this is all flesh over here. So I didn't know why they were all killing each other. Everybody's mad at everything color of the carpet, everything. I think the whole crowd turned over in just three months. You're in my chair. First, all the mighty intercessors collected there because they heard that we prayed. Man, that's where we originated getting a paper and handed out to everybody. We don't care if you're a mighty apostle, prophet, or the mightiest intercessor that ever lived. When you come in here and sit down and pray, leave your mantle on a nail outside 
of the door and just plant yourself in the chair and just sit there and pray. We don't want you preaching to each other and ministering hours to each other. When we ask you to do something, do what we ask you. So this is the fast he fulfilled. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness as our substitute. He's about to be tempted by the devil in our place. The devil threw everything at him. Everything. And Jesus, of course, shut him down. And then, of course, he came back, and that is the standing you and I received. So understanding this now, let's read through it here. He said, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights also, and hungered, and I tell you, if I was 40 days without water, I think I'd wanted water before food. So he likely drank water. And when he had fasted 40 days and nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So this temptation took place on three levels, spirit, soul, and body. When the tempter came and said to the Son, if you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And he answered and said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So he couldn't get him. He could not get him to... Uh, to minister to his own flesh in any way. But without really getting into this, he shut him down on the level of body. Body. And you also might as well know that there's no need that you have that he'll not supply. In the fourth verse, again, he answered, it's written, man shall not live bread alone, every word proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him into the holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. And that's a high place. He saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. In their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, It's written. Again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So the devil moved on to the soul. And as you know, our soul is our mind, our will, our intellect, our emotions. He moved on to the soul and tried to badger him and tempt him into jumping off the pinnacle of the temple on a misinterpretation of a verse. And he said, nope, no, saint, that you'll not get me to tempt God. I know what he's written, but you're not going to get me to tempt him. And you can imagine that he badgered him with more than has put any person in the lowest level of any insane asylum to try to get him to jump. And he would not. So he shut him down in the soul realm. And then he moved on to spirit. 
he moved on to spirit. And he said, in the eighth verse, again the devil taketh him up to a high exceeding mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world. And of course, we're not breaking these down too much, but it, where Satan took him was from the seat of his authority where he reigns over the religions of the world. Brother Denikran described it one time. He said one time he thought it was Jesus coming to get him, but he felt uncomfortable in his spirit. When he got there, when he got next to him, he found out it was the devil. But he looked just like Jesus. Well, they took him to this high mountain where his throne was, and he ruled over the religious systems of the world and the social systems through his war machine of principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. So he reigned, the rulers of the darkness of this world. So he took him there, and Brother Denikrin said that Satan literally sat on a throne and he had, he had angels parading as cherubims they were, vaunting themselves. And in other words, he tried to set this thing up as a copy of God's throne. He had principalities that were parading. He said it was horrible. Well, he showed him the kingdoms of the world from that place. Now, if any man had ever been tempted for the kind of exaltation that makes you drunk with power. Fall down, worship me. Come on. I'll make you a world ruler. Satan told Brother Denikrin, I'll make you a little God. This part of the world will worship you, and I'll make you wealthy beyond what you can imagine. Beyond. And he showed him the kingdoms of the world, and you talk about a temptation. More artists have sold out to the devil when they found out they had a marketable commodity. People want to come and make you a little God. If you've never been drunk on the exhortation that people give you, then you don't know what resistance is. If it's money you lack to hold that sacred position, you'll almost kill for it. You'll sell handkerchiefs and everything. You'll sell everything just to keep that position. And I'll tell you what, both self-exaltation and the kind that people give you, it is as addictive as cocaine. Well, this is the temptation that probably took Adam down. His last one. I'll make you his little God. You'll be like 
God. No, thank you, devil. So you think I'm going to throw my life away for prayerlessness because I can't get out of bed? Eighth verse again, he take, the devil take him up exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee. And of course, he said in the other rendering, They've been given to me, and I choose who I give them to. He said, All these things will I give you, for they have been given to me. Come on. Fall down, fall down and worship me. And then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, get behind me. For it's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shall thou serve. And I like this part, don't you? Then the devil leaveth him, and angels came and ministered unto him. I really like that part. All right, let's go on over, and we'll finish up here in Luke, the fourth chapter. The eighth verse. Boy, they ran pretty close here. I guess he went over to Matthew and said, okay. Make this one the eighth verse, too. <laughs> Luke 4, 11. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, set him up on the pinnacle, and said unto him, If you be the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. In their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any time you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thirteenth verse, and The devil ended all the temptation. He departed from him for a season. He'll be back to try his grounds later. Got any handles? Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out his fame of him throughout the regions round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered to him the book of Isaiah. And he went and opened the book, and he found the place where it was written, Isaiah 61 and 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering sight to the blind. He set at liberty them with bruise to preach the jubilee, the 50th year. The acceptable year of the Lord. So this is the fast, all right, that he chose for Jesus. Jesus prepared himself for that temptation 
by fasting his flesh. Well, then when he shut the devil down, spirit, soul, and body, in all three realms, and he turned around and gave you his standing, behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. doesn't matter what he does, how strong the temptation seems. He's not stronger than you are. He's not stronger. You have his standing. Well, what if I tell the devil to come out and he won't? If you tell the devil to come out and he won't, then try what Jesus said. This kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. Well, what happens? My fasting moved God? No. Well, if your life is being sealed by the flesh, and God's not able to operate in that grace and that power through your weak, undernourished spirit, being drug around from pillar to post by your flesh. Oh, this devil won't come out. He laughed at me. Yeah, so did his friends. He just won't come out. What happens when I fast? And the ceiling of the flesh drops below the operation of the Spirit. And then the grace he gave you comes forward. When he said, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. And his grace is released. And his standing is good. And that's by grace. He can't earn it. It's a free gift. So all you can do through fasting and praying is release the positional truths that you have been made in the first place. So when that flesh drops down below the operation of the ceiling, then that position he gave you of grace, when he said, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy, now go tell him to come out again. Say, well, why will he come out? Because the big angel or the Holy Ghost will reach inside of that person. This is why they scream. Somebody makes him come out. Grabs him by that little bow tie. Drags him out kicking and screaming. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, stand up and let's worship God again.